Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. This morning, we're going to be reading from Luke 24, verses 28 through 35. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome again. My name is Mark. I'm the pastor here at The Vine. It's uh, so nice to see you all here today. So, all right, I'm curious, what were your TV shows and movies that ended poorly? Let's have a little all-skate here question. Let's hear it. Game of Thrones. Yeah, all right. Freaks and geeks. Anyone else there? Did it get canceled? Is that why it ended poorly? Unfortunate. What's that? Rest of development. It needed it to stop three seasons before it did. Okay, Brian said Lost. Sopranos. Yeah, what happened at the end of the Sopranos, right? What was this over here? Don't look up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's just brutal that a lot of times authors and, and writers and directors, they love not having a conclusion, so that there is this sense of like, but what happened? And of course, that's so that we continue to talk about it, right? Now, how we end things is really, really important. We know that. And uh, our experience with these shows and these movies are evidence of that. But now imagine if you were Luke and you were writing one of the most important stories of all time, and he has this impossible feat of, all right, how do you wrap up the story about the God who was with us. How do you wrap up the story about Jesus' time here? As a community, for those who haven't been with us, we have read through the entire book of Luke in 50 days. Tomorrow is the final day. And so we, for all of these 49 days, have been walking alongside Jesus as Luke has been telling us all these different stories. I'm curious, uh, what have y'all noticed about this gospel telling? That's unique or particular. What stood out to you for those who have been with us in this journey? I know, super awkward silence, but I'm super comfortable with it. So (laughs) let's just stay here. What have we noticed? He lifts up women. The future's female for Luke, right? Yeah? Prophecies, a lot of Old Testament showing how it's now being fulfilled with Jesus. Uh-huh. What's, what's that? He's like really, really hard on religious people and really, really anti-hypocrisy, right? Like over and over and over again, he just takes them to task. What, Jim? 
hypocrisy. Yeah. We also see him lifting up the poor, the outcast, those who are furthest from the religious comfort zone. Like, those are the ones whom Jesus continues to go after and lifts up. It's interesting. Like, whatever we're passionate about determines what we focus on or notice. For those who are, like, really passionate about, like, cool, expensive sneakers, you're going to notice when Jordans walk in the room. Or for women who are really into fashion, you'll notice when a really cool clutch comes in the room. I don't even know what a clutch is, but I hear about it. And so I'm sure that's something for you. Uh, Stu is going to notice when a a new Dodge pulls up, right? Bronco, Bronco, sorry. See, I I just revealed. I revealed I could care less about cars. So nice Dodge, brother. Uh, I would be embarrassed, but I don't care. But these are the things in which, like, whatever we're passionate about is what we notice. And so uh, for Luke... He seems to be really passionate about these specific things, about how Jesus is bringing all those Old Testament prophecies. That he, it's in him that Jesus is going after the outcast, that Jesus cares deeply to make people whole, heal people. That's physical. That's also social and emotional and mental health as well. We find that Jesus is really focused at lifting up women, valuing women, and lifting up the poor. So Luke is coming to the conclusion of this gospel, and I like to imagine Luke like, you know, those movies that have someone who's really obsessed about someone else, and he's coming to the end of it, and he has a whole board with, like, thumbtacks and strings going all over the place with maps and different pictures of people, and he's like, how am I going to end it? And we find here in this last week of Jesus' life, Luke begins to tell this tragic and beautiful story of how Jesus' life ended. And with these last tragic days, we heard about, as we've read this week, we've heard about Jesus' Last Supper, how a beloved friend denied knowing him, about, and another one betrayed him, how Jesus was arrested and beaten, how Jesus hung on a cross. And even in the last moments, as he was struggling to breathe, there was one more outcast that Jesus was going to bring in, this criminal who's dying on his side, that Jesus said, the beautiful words that today you're going to be with me in paradise. Fighting for these breaths, he was able to continue his ministry. And then the savior of the world, his lungs stopped expanding, his body went limp, and Jesus died. The creator and the sustainer of all of life is now a corpse on the cross. What happens then is the crowd scatters. Luke points out that in the story, the only people that remain, anyone guess? Women. Women, the same women that were with Jesus at the very beginning of his journey, they're now with Jesus till the very, very end. And there's this man named Joseph who goes and asks for Jesus' body. And these women love, they're driven by compassion and love so much that they have to know where Jesus is going to be buried. Like, they need to know where Jesus will be buried, so they follow Jesus' body with Joseph until they find out where he will be put to rest. And everyone else scatters back to their lives, and the women, women were the only ones who returned to Jesus' tomb after the Sabbath to prepare his body, to, like, tend to it, to care for it for his final rest. But when they show up, Spoiler alert, I'm not sure if you've heard the story before. But when they show up, Jesus' body was gone. In this passage in Luke, 
begins like this. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And one final time, Luke tells the story of how women are central to the story of Jesus. Verse 9 continues, When they came back from the tomb, the women told all these things to the eleven, the men, and all the others. These women are bearing witness to the Jesus' resurrection, the first people to do so. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others who were with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. This is biblical mansplaining right here, people. Verse 12, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. So who were the first evangelists of the risen Lord? It was these women. Women who weren't allowed to testify in court. God chose them to be the first to say the good news of, that Jesus was alive. Okay, soapbox warning, okay? Um, this is in part why the vine is passionate about valuing and releasing women into leadership, into teaching, into preaching. Why? It's biblical. <laughs> Who is the first person that heard the good news of Jesus in Luke's gospel? If you were to rewind all the way back, who was the very first person to hear about Jesus' good news in Luke's gospel? It wasn't actually a woman. It was a man named Zechariah. He was John the Baptist's father. And he heard from an angel that God was beginning this new work. And what was Zechariah's response was this doubtful questioning took place. And because of that lack of faithful response, if y'all remember, Zechariah was struck mute for nine months. In comparison, when Mary hears of the unbelievable not only happening in the world, but happening in her and to her, how does she respond? She responds in faith and surrender. And the first chapter of Luke's gospel ends with Mary singing this beautiful song of audacious faith. So Luke begins the gospel with a man learning in silence and submission, and women here who get it, and they're singing songs of great faith. And this gospel ends with women, once again, who are persistent to be with Jesus against all odds, and a story of how men who scattered, and they had to hear the women's testimony. So for us in our community, to be faithful to the way of Jesus and the movement that Jesus started 2,000 years ago, we need to hear from the whole community. That includes men and women with their faith, their perspective, with their witness of how they have seen Jesus in our midst. This is the work of the Spirit of Christ that is in alignment with the story of Jesus. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Are you okay with that, though? All right, all right. We just want to let, it, let us know that what we're doing is actually based in Scripture. Not, we're not making this up as we go. So word began to spread out about Jesus' resurrection, and people did not know what to think. They were, had this experience of confusion and hope and disbelief. They had emotional instability. And here we find, we find one last story that's only found in Luke's Gospel. Remember, these are eyewitness accounts that Luke heard from. So these aren't just fables or myth. These are people's memories that Luke is writing down. And we find this in Luke 24, verse 13. Now, the same day the two of them were going along, this is right after the women shared the, the news about Jesus' resurrection, 
these two of them were going down to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with one another, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I wonder what kept them from recognizing Jesus. Was it like Jesus, that God struck these two with spiritual blindness, like put on these spiritual blinders where they couldn't see Jesus? Or perhaps they were kept from seeing Jesus because they were struck with so much anxiety and confusion that blinded them from seeing fully and clearly. And yet here they are between these two different places trying to figure things out. Some people call this experience of being stuck between two different places a liminal space. Between two different experiences and realities, you you're find yourself in this liminal space that seems fragile and disorienting. I'd like to propose a lens for how we can see one of these final stories in Luke's gospel. Um, it's a story that I think is helpful for us of what happens when people are deconstructing and reconstructing an understanding of God and life with God. I think many are like these two followers of Jesus on this road. It is clear that they were confused, uncertain. They were mentally rattled and emotionally shaken. They were mourning their experience of hope that Jesus had died, and they likely saw it with their very own eyes. And, <clears throat> and now there's word from these women, from all people, that an angel that, uh, from Jesus has, 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 that Jesus has gone. And these two travelers, they were a mixed bag of hope and belief, fear and faith, doubt and despair. And I wonder if that's describing some people's experience in life here in this room. Many had a previous life where things actually made sense. I actually have heard from many of you saying that you missed the days where things were black and white, certain, where you knew where life was heading and you saw God's plans clearly, but then life happened or a tragedy struck and things all of a sudden go off the rails. And what, what once felt simple now feels impossible what once was enough now feels actually incomplete. And now you're left with a mind that's muddled and a heart that's rattled. And between the place of certainty and known, you're on this journey that feels fragile. You're between Jerusalem and Emmaus. And that's a hard place to be. What I want you to notice in this story is that this is where Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up in that liminal space with people who are trying to figure things out. The love and the compassion of Jesus shows up uniquely there. In Luke's gospel, this is actually the first place that Jesus shows up. You know, the angel showed up at the grave, but it's here between two friends who are journeying, trying to figure out what does it mean to walk forward in this future, that God is drawn to that place. These two are trying to pick up the pieces of their old faith to see what's ahead of them. Though they couldn't see Jesus clearly, they didn't hold Jesus back. Jesus saw them and knew them and wanted to walk with them, and Jesus was actually willing to go as far as they wanted him to come. And the section begins by Jesus asking them, what were you talking about? This is like a good lesson for us when we show up in places of uncertainty with people who are struggling, not to tell them, all right, let me just give you the answer, but to actually draw out 
questions. What's going on? And they begin to tell stories about Jesus like an episode of Undercover Boss. You know, Jesus is just listening to them. Oh, interesting. I could see that, you know. Jesus here, these two explain that all that happened, how the city was buzzing with discussion. And notice how they talked of Jesus. Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And then they went on to talk about the women's testimony, about Peter's trip to the empty tomb. And then Jesus lovingly and gently says, how foolish you are. (laughs) Again, like I've seen Jesus a little bit snarky in this gospel. Anyone else? Like, Prickly, snarky, Jesus, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, going back to James's point early, earlier about this gospel. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? At the beginning with, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus walked with these men on this journey through their confusion to draw out their questions and their doubts, and now Jesus... The ultimate expert of the law is giving like the best Old Testament survey course ever about how it all ended up in Jesus. And what I want you to notice here, they still didn't see him. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. He's being a little tricky, like, do you want me to keep going? Do you want me to stay But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So Jesus went in to stay with them. In the midst of our doubts, of their doubts and deconstruction, these two remained curious and open. I think this is a helpful guide for those of us who are trying to build back a life and understanding of faith and life with Jesus. They remained vulnerable and open. They didn't get stuck in apathy or comfortable in the rubble of what was. Instead, they wanted more. And I find this next part of the scripture pretty amazing. After they walked the seven miles, and they remained open and curious enough to invite Jesus into their home, notice when their eyes were opened. And Jesus was at the table with them. He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So what was it about that moment that caused them to truly see Jesus? I've had a conversation with a friend of mine uh, this week, and it's been in my mind and my soul ever since we had this, this dialogue. As you know, some of the people in our church have written these uh, daily devotionals over these 50 days. It's a labor of love. Can we please just give them a round of applause? Thank you guys for those who wrote it and recorded it. We have some great voiceover actors over here in our church. You didn't know that. But we were celebrating the end of this project, this meaningful project. We had Mexican food and guacamole and margaritas. We were enjoying it. And our kids were running around. And we, one, one of the discussions we had around this picnic table was, so what was one of your favorite stories that we've done through the Gospel of Luke? And one person mentioned this story. And she mentioned something that was profound. What she said was, you would think that Scripture would have opened their eyes, especially Jesus teaching and preaching Scripture to these men. Like, you would think that would have been enough 
to open up their, give them clarity in seeing Jesus. But it wasn't. They had to experience Jesus. It's the difference between walking down the road and talking and then sitting at a table and looking out of eyes with someone. Scripture continues to be such a gift in our life. As a church, as the vine, we value and we're fascinated with the Bible. Obviously, we just spent 50 days walking through it, verse by verse. But our hope is in Jesus. And for those who are deconstructing their faith and putting their faith back together, quoting Scripture often isn't enough. It's helpful. It's good that we do that. It's helpful that we center our conversations around Scripture. But what people most need is an experience with the living God. Walking down the road, debating Scripture didn't allow them to see clearly, but Jesus' persistent presence, his willingness to ask questions, to journey with these two, to be welcomed into a home of another, to receive hospitality, to pray, to give thanks, to break bread. Something about that experience was transformative. It was an encounter that awoke their hearts and souls and gave clarity to their perspective. Reflecting on their experience, notice that they said, Didn't our hearts burn when he was teaching Scripture? But even though their hearts burned, didn't mean that they could see. They needed to encounter Jesus. And I'm afraid that oftentimes, many of us believe, if only that person struggling with faith could hear this message, or go to that teacher, or go to that conference, maybe then the light would turn on. But friends, oftentimes, more often than not, it takes an encounter with the living Christ. It's an experience. And the odd thing is, for many of us who grew up in church, I'm not saying everyone here, I know many of us didn't, but for some of us who grew up in church, we were taught to ultimately trust Scripture. And we we were taught also to be skeptical of experience. We were taught, honestly, to distrust our experiences, that they might lead us astray. But what we find here is that there are times in our life with Jesus, especially for those who are needing to rebuild a faith, That we need to find Jesus not only in the pages of Scripture, but in sacred and surprising moments that often come to us uninvited. As my friend over that Mexican food restaurant, what she said is, we have a high view of Scripture, but we have a higher view of Jesus. I will tell you that my life and my faith have been deeply formed by this ancient collection of Scriptures that I return to over and over and over again. But not only by the words on these pages, but but how the living God has met me in reading and praying and studying Scripture with people and by myself. I love the Bible. But I want you also to know that my life with Jesus is not confined to studying these collections of writings. Jesus has met with me in my experiences On the roads between here and there, my faith has been formed by holding the hands of people in hospital rooms, by hearing challenging words from friends that I did not want to hear at that moment, but it led me to liberation. I've experienced Jesus in unspeakable moments of beauty and nature, by being with people in their final moments of life, by welcoming a new baby into this world. 
Jesus has met with me in worship services, at camps, at retreats, at quiet moments of prayer, at Travis County State Prison in the faces of those inmates, by walking alongside people in the gay community who've been kicked out of every church, and somehow they can't get rid of their need for grace and mercy in Jesus. I have experienced Jesus in reading Max Lucado books to my kids right before they go to bed and crying my eyes out. I have seen Jesus show up by how you cared for our family this year. I've met with Jesus through art and beauty. I've met with Jesus through the voices of elderly friends who spent a lifetime praying to their Savior. And something about their prayers taught me that I need to know him more. And I've met with Jesus at tables like this. It's good that our hearts can burn when we hear God's word. But friends, all of life and all of this world can be set ablaze by God's presence. If only we could experience it by God's nearness. If only we could have eyes to see Jesus. I think Luke, out of all the different ways to finish his gospel, Luke chose this one story in the final sections of this gospel almost as a warning for people like us. And what's the warning? Jesus is sneaky. He's sneaky. You don't know where he's going to show up. Pay attention. Have hearts that are open. Have a soul that's vulnerable. You never know what common, ordinary moment can be turned into a sacred experience. The same Jesus that we have spent 50 days studying and learning Now we are called to look for in this world. In particular, we're called to look for Jesus in all the places we saw him in these 50 days of this this experience that we've had with one another. Why? Jesus is still on the move. So may our hearts burn and may our eyes be open to the risen one who is here in our midst. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.